So, uh, oh, there I am. It, it, it sounds different in here, doesn't it? But the man, it really sounds different to me. <laughs> I'm scaring myself up here, actually. Um, so it's important to uh, celebrate some wins. And before I get into uh, the message this morning, I want to want to do that. Uh, first of all, last week, for those uh, who may not know, we um, we kicked off Fuse, our student ministry up here, and we had seven kids up here. There you go. Yeah, yeah, nice. So, uh, so, and they, I've been told that they said we're going to have 10 tonight. Yeah, so that's good growth. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so anyway, be praying for those guys, for AJ and Marissa and Hagen's been helping out. Um, so anyway, that's kind of a cool thing. Uh, also, I want a huge thank you. We had 15 people show up yesterday to help us get the pews out of here. We started, um, you know, about 8.30 or so. And we're done by 11, like out of the church by 11. Even got our food pantry put together and set up. So that's exciting. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to have to, um, we'll do this with these seats. But then by, they're telling me, mid-October, that we'll have our new chairs, padded chairs here. And, but it'll still give us some freedom to do what we do. So like to me, I think that's kind of cool. And that's kind of cool. And having the tables in the back is kind of cool. Um, and so, by having the auditorium the way we have it, we can do that, uh, I think. At least, I'm okay with it. Um, the, uh, the mailers, we've been working on mailers. We're hopefully going to get those sent out here next week or the next week, um, which is fine too if they go out. But we're going to take those, send those out, let people know we're still around, still doing our thing. So, we'll be looking for those. They, they match our yard signs, so that's kind of a, a cool thing. I uh, threw up on the, on the screen some things that are coming up. So we've got the, the Northwood Festival is going to be happening. The Fall Festival is going to be happening on the 13th. And you see... Oh, oh boy. Pull the hamstring. Um, so uh, our little, see our logo up there? Grace Point, right up there. Um, so we're sponsoring, helping sponsor that. We have a booth as well. Uh, I'm going to be uh, volunteering. I won't be at our booth because I'm going to be volunteering at the car show. What I'm going to be doing, I don't know about you guys, I'm going to be sitting at the registration table, registering all the cars that they come in, and then when I find my 72 Corvette, I'll offer the guy a little cash on that. But anyways, um, and then we, right after that, the next day, we've got the party at the point, a taste at Grace Point here at the church, so we want you to be inviting friends and neighbors to come, and it's going to be at 10.30, it may go till noon-ish, uh, we'll go a little bit longer, it's going to be outside, we've got a tent. And we're going to do a little taste of Grace Point, as well as having some games. And um, the band's going to be outside. They're going to be on a flatbed um, trailer and going to be playing for us. So we want, to, want you guys there for that. Then the spa night um, is happening on the 19th of the following week. So this is all kind of hitting all around the same time in order to generate some enthusiasm and excitement. So ladies, be a part of that and invite your friends for that. It sounds like it's going to be a good time. And... Uh, we're praying that the cheers, you know, come around that time, which would be nice. So we'll see, see what's happening. But um, anyways, I appreciate you guys sacrificing for Jesus a little bit and sitting in metal chairs, some of you. Um, way to go to the rest of you who found the good chairs and got in those colors. Um, pretty good. Anyway, so you're talking to a friend. <clears throat> you're talking to a neighbor, coworker, friend, and... They start kind of talking about why is the world in such a mess? 
Why are our politics in such a mess? How would you answer that? What we've been trying to do for his last two weeks, and then today being the third week, the final week of This Explains Everything, is going back into Genesis, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, because in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the foundational questions of life are answered. Everything about our lives are answered in those three chapters. And so we've already looked at where we came from, and we talked about, as you remember, if you were here, for those who weren't, a real quick review, that you have three options. Uh, you can believe in eternally ex- pre-existing gases that uh, somehow or another, for some reason, out of the blue, even though they have been pre-existingly, eternally existing, it makes sense, but anyways, um, that they were there existing and something caused them to explode and cause what's needed for life, and life began and life evolved over millions and millions and millions of years. And we talked about how logically, based on how we're created, or how we are as human beings, and our desire to help people, all that kind of stuff, can't come from evolution. Uh, that's not in the DNA of evolution. We talked about, and some people laugh at this, but another option for where we came from is um, some uh, eternally pre-existing aliens that somewhere, somehow, at some point, decided to seed the planet with life. People wonder about that, but Stephen Hawking, who, Hawking's, who's one of the was one of the brightest man, men who ever lived, evidently. Uh, incredibly smart physicist. Believe that. Also believe that we shouldn't contact them, because if we did, that they would find out that we have evolved to this point and would come back and destroy us. Um, and then the third option, which we believe, is that there was an e- eternally pre-existing God who personally created man. So then the second question is, Why? Why would he create? And again, a little review, he created us so that we could know him. Because he doesn't need us. He's a perfect God, infinitely perfect, infinitely complete. Um, Has relationship within the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son are intimately related with each other, so there's no need for relationship. But he wanted to create because he wanted to give to somebody else the greatest thing that any person could ever have. And that is a relationship with a good, gracious God who would provide and protect for them and they would be able to just enjoy God because he's awesome. And and so he wanted to share himself. And so he creates this incredible world. It's beautiful. It's perfect. And he creates man, and he creates man in his image. We've talked about for the last two weeks what that meant. But ultimately, it means that we can have a relationship with God, not a religious duty type thing, but an actual personal relationship with the God of this universe. He's created us with personhood, with the ability to think, uh, with the ability to have emotion, and with the ability to choose, which is what we're going to be talking about today. But God was able to do that. He voluntarily chose to have a relationship with us, He created us like him. He didn't create robots. He didn't force himself on us. He's given man the ability to choose whether they really want to have a relationship with him or not. And so this morning, we want to look at man's choice and then its impact. So we're going to answer the two final questions. And as I've done the previous weeks and I'm trying to do again today, uh, there is, I just, you can ask my family, I've just been struggling through this three-week series 
Because there's so much information there, and I'm a kind of guy who wants to jump into the weeds and pull everything apart and give you all the information. But we're really trying to fine-tune this, and I really want to give you just some basic information that you can take to your friends who have questions and who you're talking to. So I'm going to try to do that again today. Um, so bear with me if I stumble through this, because it's, again, I really want to get into the weeds, and, and that's going to be have, you know, for another day. But we could spend you know, eight weeks on these three chapters. Um, so turn to Genesis chapter 3. It's page 3, if you grab one of the uh, Bibles. I guess we can't call them pew Bibles anymore. Um, one of the chair Bibles, if you have one of those, or if you're using an app or whatever. But if you're using the Bible that we've provided there, it's page 3, Genesis 3, page 3. And I'm going to enthusiastically read through these 24 verses for you. And then we'll go back and look at three basic things. We're going to be looking at man's choice, man's mess, and God's fix. It says this, Now the, spirit, or the serpent, who was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God made, and he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it, or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Completely different situation than Genesis 1 and 2, right? From what we were talking about the last couple of weeks. Things have drastically changed. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who, who told you that you were naked? Have, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me. She gave from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat in all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, strife, uh, war, fighting, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Interesting phrase there that will break down for you. Then, the, then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, 
Cursed is the ground because of you. We're, we're not going to talk a whole lot about this, but because man was given dominion over the earth, because man was representing God to nature, as we've talked about. He's being like God and representing God to the world and to nature. When man ate, that sin penetrated and permeated all throughout nature. And so now the ground would be cursed because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Well, didn't we already know that, right? Genesis 1 and 2, he'd become like us. What does he mean? Knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch his, out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of of life. Again, a lot of stuff in here, and it'd be so much fun to just take time today and break this all down and be here for a couple hours. Well, maybe fun for me, maybe not so fun for you. But I, I just want to focus in on three big points here. One is man's choice, man's mess, and then God's fix. So those three things we're going to kind of look at this morning. What was the choice you don't have to answer this, but just think about this. What was the choice that God gave to Adam and Eve when he placed the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil into the garden? Ultimately, what was the choice that God was giving them? Because here, here's the deal. This choice was far more than just right and wrong, obey or disobey. What God was doing was giving man the opportunity to truly be like God in the sense of determining for himself what is right and what is wrong. Genesis 1 and 2, God determined what was right and what was wrong, and man was able to simply enjoy all that God had provided. Enjoy God's protection, God's provision to walk around the garden, pluck fruit, eat it, hang out, have a great relationship with God, have a great relationship with each other. Everything was perfect. Everything was happening exactly how God wanted it to be. But God said, I, I want to know for sure if they love me and want a relationship with me, not just based on everything I'm giving them, but truly based on them just really wanting to have a relationship with me. Because God's already initiated from his end, and voluntarily so, a relationship with man. When God is God, God takes all the responsibility to provide and protect for mankind. God is good, and so everything he gives man is good and is for man's best, even today. Man simply needs to obey and experience all that God has. But sadly, what man decided to do was, what their choice was, was they were going to say, I'm going to believe what the serpent, Satan, has to say, 
By the way, somebody who previous to this had made the same decision, Isaiah tells us. He wanted to be like the Most High. So he lies and he deceives and he twists and he turns and he says, God didn't necessarily say that. You're not going to die. Satan technically didn't die, right? Still existed after making that same choice. And he says to them, you can really know what it's like to be God if you take the step to determine for yourself what is right and what is wrong. And that's what Adam and Eve do. Man determines what is good. I mean, if, if you're not going to read through it, but if you were to reread those first few verses, Eve says, um, you know, it was, she saw that it was good. She saw that it was a delight. Before it was God saying what was good and what was a delight, but now she's determining, hey, this other tree, hey, this is good. And hey, it does look good. It is a delight to the eyes. And not only that, but it's going to make me wise. I'm going to, be, I'm going to know everything that God knows. But here's the problem with that. God is God. He can know everything, good and evil. As God, he doesn't need to participate and personally experience evil to know it. He knows it, but he can handle it. He can handle the responsibility, right? He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. But when man decides to step out and be God and make the determinations for himself, he used to know good, but now he's going to not only know there's something called evil, he's going to personally experience what is evil. God, who is good, removed his good. Let me put it this way. When you remove light, what do you have? Okay. And in order to take care of the darkness, you need to bring light back in, correct? When you remove good, what's left is evil. So when, when Adam and Eve were experiencing good, they were experiencing God. God is good. But when they decided, I'm going to be my own God... God is removed from that, and now all they have left is evil. And they're experiencing what comes with that. I mean, I don't know about you, but this to me explains everything that goes on in our world today, right? Why do we have conflict? Let's just say, why do we have conflict on a world basis? Why do we have one nation in conflict with another nation? Because one nation thinks that they're right, and what they need is the most important thing. So they go after another nation, and now there's war going on. We can bring it down even closer. What about the politics that we live in? Why is there such conflict and mess going on within our politics? Is because one person's political views they think is right, and another person's political views they think are right, and now you have conflict, because who's to say which one's right or wrong? It's opinion upon opinion, right? Or, or some people will take it and they'll wrap it around a cause, and their cause is right, and so because their cause they think is right, anything they do to make that cause happen is right. Whether another person thinks it's right or not. So, man's choice 
to put God on the sidelines and become God for themselves, that's what's caused the mess that we have. Which we want to look at next. Let me just kind of run through some, a few things, three things here about man's mess that we see from these verses. The first one is this. When man chooses to be God, it's interesting as you read through this, man covers up. What do I mean by that? Prior to this, uh, 2.25 says that man and woman were naked and they were not ashamed. But as soon as they eat, something changes. When, as soon as they step out and say, I'm going to be God, something changes and now they feel like they need to cover up. What's going on there? I, I think it's this. When, when God was saying what was right and what was wrong, and they were simply obeying that and, and enjoying all that God has for them and, and providing for them, what was happening is they were living the way God wants them to. They were thinking the way God wants them to. So get this. They were other-focused. Remember what biblical love is. Biblical love is looking out for the best of somebody else no matter what the cost is to you. And when we talked about in Genesis 2.24, uh, where it's talking about man and this, the ability to have this intimate relationship with his wife, that was, all, that was all representing God and showing God at work. That was all the good stuff. And so, they were, so Adam was Eve-focused and helping her be all that God wanted her to be. And Eve was Adam-focused and helping him be all that God wanted him to be. And in that, there was unity, there was intimacy, and they weren't focused on themselves. But as soon as they ate, as soon as they stepped out and they wanted to be God for their lives, they covered up. Why? Because they, came, they became self-focused. They became self-aware. They became worrying about themselves more than the other person. And so there was uh, embarrassment. There was shame. We looked different. We have different body parts. I've I, I got to cover up because I'm so focused on myself. I'm not focused on my husband anymore. I'm not focused on God anymore. I'm focused on myself. And so they, they covered up. The second thing is man blames others. Before, God had the responsibility to take care of everything. But man said, no, I want the responsibility to take care of everything. I want to be right and I want to decide what's right and wrong. Problem is, God can handle that responsibility. We can't. And then we realize, I can't handle it. So what do we do? We blame somebody else for it. Right? I mean, think about what goes on in our world. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. And the serpent had no leg to stand on. Right? Because You guys don't remember that? I've told that joke before. You gotta... I don't know. Well, I told that joke before. You guys need to remember that. That's a good one. They blamed each other. But what goes on today? The husband blames the wife. The wife blames the husband. The employee blames the boss. The boss blames the employee. You know, the people blame the government. The government blames the people. It's a blame game. No one's taking responsibility for what they're doing anymore. They, they, want, to be, they want to say what's right and what's wrong, but when the results of those choices happen, not me. It, you know, Adam, of all, you know, he says, by the way, God, it's really your fault because you gave me the lady. You know, put the lightning rod on for that one. 
But here's where it gets down to real practical. And again, I'm not going to get into the whole nature thing. I just want to talk real quickly about man's mess when it comes to, to marriages. We've talked about this, and so I'm going to try to work through it fairly quickly here. But marriage, when man and woman choose to do marriage as if they're God, that ends up destroying the marriage. It ends up destroying the relational unity that God wants a husband and wife to experience. And he talks about it here as he, as he gives the judgment and the result of their sin. He says to a woman, for instance, you're gonna, um, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. And that could have an idea of not just as she's having a child, but as she raises a child. Selfish parents raise selfish kids who live selfish lives who bring pain to their parents. That's basically what he's saying. And so as we live lives the way we think we should live it, and we raise kids that way, they're going to do life the way they think they should do it, and it's going to bring pain, not just physical pain of birthing them, but emotional pain of raising them. But notice her response to her husband. And again, this isn't the judgment. This is just the result of her saying, I want to be the God of my life. He says, first of all, that your desire will be for your husband. Everyone would think, well, that's a good thing, right? Way to go, ladies. You're going to love your husband, even though he's a... You know, jerk. But if you look over in chapter 4, verse 7, and other spots in the Old Testament, but most directly is verse 7 of chapter 4, God uses this word to describe what sin is doing to Cain. Sin's desire is for Cain. Sin wants to control Cain. And so what's happening in the marriage, when a wife says, I want to do marriage the way I think I should do it, her tendency is, I want, to con- I want to control my husband. I want to do and be and have the responsibility that my husband has. We talked about out of Galatians or out of Genesis 2. Then it says, he will rule over you. Yeah, kind of what happens. Because when a guy, he says, I'm going to do marriage my way, he's not going to want anybody else telling him what to do, right? And so now he's going to try to control his wife. And what do you have? You have conflict in a marriage. The husband, his judgment and response, his judgment is that the same kind of pain, I know this is going to get some of you ladies upset, but the same kind of pain, he uses the same word for pain in toil, the same kind of pain that the, a wife is going to have in bearing children, the husband's going to have as he works and toils and gets the ground ready in order to have the food. Today, it's, you know, we lose that because a lot of us sit around computers and we're like, it's not very painful um, to do. But not for, for Adam and not for man for many, many centuries. Because of that sin, that sin penetrated nature and destroyed God's beautiful design. And it wasn't just plants now. There was going to be weeds. And there was going to be... Um, drought, and there's going to be floods, and there's this, things were just distorted and messed up, and man was going to have to deal with that in order to provide, I guess you could say, for his family. When God was God, God provided the food for Adam and Eve, and they just walked around and plucked it. But when man becomes God, when he thinks he's God, he thinks wrong, but he thinks it's his job to provide for his family. 
It's interesting because Jesus speaks to that in Matthew 6.33, which we talked about. Jesus said that if we live life, I'm just paraphrasing here, if we live life God's way and do life for the purpose that God wants us to do life, to know him and make him known, he says all these things will be added to you. In other words, all the things he previously talked about, all of our needs will be met. So God's still in the whole process of, you do life my way, I'm going to protect you and I'm going to provide for you. But man, when he says, I'm God... And the God of my life, is, he's distorted in his thinking, and he's going to start doing all the work thinking that he needs to provide for his wife. And the focus that he should have on his wife and family, he puts on his work. And the more he puts on his work, what happens? The wife's like, well, he's too focused on work. I better take care of things in the house. I better take care of things with the kids. And then the husband comes home, and nobody wants to listen to the husband. Why? Because he's always working, because he thinks he needs to provide and now you have conflict. And I'm telling you, I do a lot of marriage counseling, and this is the basis for every single marriage issue. When, when people come into my office, not one of them, by the way, is doing it right. One spouse might start it, and the other one will respond. But the point is, no one's stopping it. No one's bringing it back to the way God wants it done. But again, every marriage experiences this. So what's the fix? The fix we we see God begins to explain to Adam and Eve and to us, and then all the way through the rest of the Old Testament and into the New Testament, God begins to explain here what he's going to do in order to make the fix, to bring the fix about. In verse 15, Where it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. What's happening there, that idea of, um, is this. That from this point forward, Eve is going to have children. Obviously. And at some point down the road, now us looking back on it, we understand the seed that he's talking about there is Jesus Christ. There is going to be someone who comes, and even though Satan, the serpent, is going to try to mess with him, he ends up on a cross, he may bruise him on the heel, but this seed of Eve is going to bruise him on the head. It's going to do far more damage. Why? Because this person is going to be God in the flesh. So as we... See, here, and as we understand Scripture, we understand that Jesus Christ is the one he's talking about here. That God, the Almighty God, the perfect God, the good God, is going to put on flesh, and he's going to come to earth, Jesus Christ, and he's going to, on behalf of mankind, right the wrong, fix the problem, die on behalf of mankind, and then rise again to defeat sin. By the way, we're going to be doing a new series starting next week um, called Epic. And it's, we're going to look at the different, um, different people throughout the Old Testament leading up to Jesus Christ and how they all kind of represent and illustrate for us who Jesus Christ is and what God is doing. So I encourage you to come back for that. It's going to be pretty cool. Uh, it's called Epic. The second thing he talks about here, and this, is, this isn't so much a Hilda Dion, but in 3.22, it says, The Lord God said, Behold, 
the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. That knowing is that idea of not just knowing about it, but personally experiencing it. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden. I'm sorry, I was... Verse 21, I started in 22. Um, verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. And so we, there are some who would say, and I kind of agree with this, that, that God is showing to us the idea of the death, the shedding of blood, which brings a covering for mankind. So before they had the fig leaves, that's not going to last very, very long in the weather. And so God takes care of that by giving them animal skins to live in, to have clothing. And the idea of their shedding of blood provides for them this covering. And again, starting here and going all through the Old Testament until Jesus Christ, this idea of the shedding of blood brings forgiveness of sin. And ultimately, even though in the Old Testament, animals died on behalf of man's sin that covered man for a year. One of these days, someone's going to put on fleshly skin, human skin, and was going to die an eternal death for a permanent forgiveness of sin. So that's God's fix. God's fixes himself. He's not just going to try to have it fixed. It's one reason why he didn't want Adam and Eve to come back and eat of the tree of, of life. He, wasn't, he didn't want, man can't save himself from this. Only God can. And so God does by putting on flesh, coming to earth, dying on behalf of man, and rising again to defeat all that. So what are our takeaways this morning? First one is this. God made a choice to voluntarily enter a relationship with you and me when he created us. God still allows men and women to be born. And he's done so for us to have a relationship with them. But just like he didn't do with Adam and Eve, he's not going to do with us. He's not going to force himself on us. He's going to not make us come into a relationship with him. Which gives us a second point, and that's this. You and I have a choice to make. Are we going to come back under the way God had designed things and let God be God for us? And the way we do that is by saying, God, I've sinned. I've tried to be God on my own. I've screwed up. Will you forgive me? And I believe that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died on the cross for my sins. He took my sins in for me. And I'm trusting that when he died, he died for me. And I'm trusting my life into your hands, and I'm going to willingly come under your authority for my life. Trusting you that you're going to provide for me in this world as I live for you. Trusting me that you're going to protect me in this world, and you're going to take me to heaven one day. That's a decision that each of us needs to make. And my hope is that you've made that decision. If you're here this morning, you haven't. It's simply a conversation your heart to God's heart, and having that conversation with him. And, and if you need to make that decision, uh, you, you will know that. God's Spirit says that he'll confirm with your spirit whether you need to make that decision or not. Well, this morning, I want to close the service with, uh, with communion. And we're going to do things a, a little differently this morning. Um, we've got these little cellophane cups, so I'm going to start passing these out, and as I do, uh, Justin, you want to grab that one? Um, I'm going to pass these. Let's go ahead and pass them back. Oh, let me grab one. So um, let me just explain these a little bit if you have never seen these before. Normally we have you come up to a table and 
we have stuff here, but we thought we'd try things a little differently. And this way we can take the bread together, we can take the cup together, in more of a unifying effect as, um, as the, the Bible talks about. But um, just real quick, so the first thing you want to take is that clear, clear cellophane. If you've got fat fingers like mine without fingernails, it might be kind of difficult. But go ahead and get that off. And as you're doing that, let me just say this. Um, you don't have to be a member of Grace Point Church in order to take communion, but Scripture says that you do need to be a member of God's family. You need to have given your life to Christ, ask uh, God for forgiveness of your sins, and enter that relationship with Him. So if you have not done that this morning, we just ask you to, if you've taken yours already, just hold on to it. Um, and if not, um, if you haven't had one, just go ahead and, and not take one. But this is for those who have placed their faith in Christ. What I'm going to do, and again, because we've kind of done this in some different ways, so I want to kind of coach ourselves through this. I'm going to read some verses out of 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul talks about this time of remembrance and remembering what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. So I'm going to read some verses and then um, I'll ask us all to take the bread together and then read some more verses and we'll take the cup together. So it talks about this in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and take the bread together. Now you take the cover. If you spill, don't feel bad because this carpeting is going out tomorrow. I mean, don't spill on purpose. Some of you guys are like, oh, okay. Everyone got theirs? If not, just yell. Okay. Paul goes on to say, to say, in the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread and drink the cup, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Let's go ahead and stand. And we'll, we have some trash cans as you're heading out, so you can throw them in there if you'd like. Let me go ahead.